Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So what topic are we going to feature on the Near Digressions today? I wanted to talk about best practices for feature engineering, and in particular for how you store and document the features that are the lifeblood of your data science system if you're operating at any kind of scale, uh, because this stuff doesn't solve itself and it can be surprisingly challenging just to keep your data organized and findable and up to date. So I think it's worth talking about. All right, you are listening to Linear Digressions. So by feature engineering, is that just a fancy term for uh, figuring out what features you want to use? Yeah, I think that it's a little more expansive than that, because it's not just about figuring out what they are, but sometimes thinking about what they need to be. It's about managing the ones that you already have. It's about making sure that they're appropriate to the problems that you want to solve. But in general, if you're a data scientist who's building models, then you know that arguably the data is more important than the models themselves, like the modeling algorithms for the quality of the outcomes that you have. And especially if you're working with medium to large size systems or small systems, but that you're manipulating the data um, to so that it becomes, you know, medium size, like more than maybe several dozen or several hundred different features that you're looking at, then keeping track of all of these features and, and keeping them kind of orderly and well organized becomes a problem that is surprisingly difficult, but very important to solve. So let me come up with like a little bit of an analogy to help make this more digestible for you as a software engineer. Okay. So let's say that you're, you do a lot of like front end stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's say that there's some new project that you're working on or some new library where you need to make a bunch of front end elements. So maybe you have buttons and I don't know, little tables and conventions around how you format images and caption them and how your text is formatted and all these kinds of things. Does this sound like like, kind of like something you do? Yeah. Well, (laughs) okay. Usually I use component libraries, uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely at some point, someone has to build a component library and that someone could be me or a colleague of mine. Um, But yeah, component libraries is something that you would build so that way you don't have to make a button from scratch every single time you want a button in your application or your website. Cool. Perfect. So I think here components are a pretty good analogy for features. It's not perfect, but it's pretty close. So the idea is that, yeah, we have a few or maybe many common pieces of infrastructure. So in your case, it's little snippets of front end code. In my case, it will be, you know, columns of data that we want to reuse again and again. We want to keep in good working order. Like, let's say we decide to um, change the default color of blue that displays on our website. Like, ideally, maybe there's a, we don't have to go into every single place where we ever had anything blue and and change the the hex code for which yeah. blue it is. But maybe there's like a, a, a relatively one more or two places. smaller yeah number of like config files where that stuff gets stored stored moreover that you as an engineer you know maybe you're not the only person who is interacting with this library um, and so if one of your colleagues makes a new element you want to be able to 
use it fairly quickly. You want to be able to find it. You want to understand what it does. Right. Okay. So in, this kind of sounds like um, a feature library, sorry, a um, component library that also maybe has some fields for a description of how this might be used or any gotchas about using it or, you know, whatnot. Yeah, so I think, I don't know if that's something that comes up that often in front-end components, but that's certainly something that comes up in data all the time, where the data itself is not, it's not necessarily self-explanatory what it is that a column means or how it's computed or when and why you might use it, any gotchas, but that stuff is really, really important for actually using it properly in any kind of scientific sense. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I would argue, uh, maybe to a lesser extent, but definitely still true in front-end engineering. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of documentation. It's basically what you're talking about. Kind of. So I think the documentation is actually a really big part of it. But I think there's also tools and best practices, perhaps, that can also make things easier or less easy. Let me make an educated guess here. When you are working with component libraries, can you tell me a little bit about how the code, how the code is actually written or how it's actually organized? Like, is there just a Git repo that has, I don't know, if there's a hundred different components in a library that there's a hundred different JavaScript files or maybe one big monolithic JavaScript file that has a hundred different things in it? Or is it a little bit more, a little bit more thoughtful than that? Um, I, so I don't know exactly where you're going, but the if you look at the comp- compiled is not the right word, but um, I guess built or bundled code of a library, it's a bunch of gobbledygook and minified code, and it's all in one big file with no line breaks or whatever. I don't think that's what you're talking about. But uh, if you look at the actual original repo where they built this uh, component library, and if it's something that you built in-house in your company, that's probably what you're using, then you have things organized really nicely. Uh, and in, in fact, you might even have different files for different components that inherit certain properties from other files, perhaps. Um, it's, it's very well thought out. You'll have um, separate documentation, but you'll also have some inline documentation, basically documentation that lives right next to the code. And that means if you ever need to go into the code, you can understand what the code is doing and what the context is uh, around why it needs to do what it's doing. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So you got at exactly what I was hoping you would get at, which is oh, that you know there's kind of an organizational scheme and like some some systems and processes that you have in place. Like when you go to the library, you don't just randomly start. It's not like the books are in any you know a completely oh, you random mean the order. Library. library. Yeah, like, sorry, yeah. Well, I mean, doing uh, overloaded decimal term. system is pretty difficult to understand. Well, all but, the numbers go in order, at least. <laughs> well, kind of in order, right? There's some yeah. there's some funkiness, and I can't remember what it is. I learned it in elementary school, but... Um, I think Dewey Decimal is pretty straightforward. Library of Congress has, like, letters, and then that starts to get confusing. But the point is that there is... <laughs> there's you know, a there's system. Some, yeah, there's a system there. There's a way that you can figure out where these things are. And, you know, the library, um, book library analogy starts to break down around some of these other points that you made around once you get there, um, 
it's a best practice to definitely have the documentation live as close to the code as possible. And that's certainly true of, of data, you know, kind of feature engineering code as well. So if I have a SQL query or some Python code or whatever that calculates a new feature and stores it somewhere, then ideally I have code that's, or documentation that's sitting right next to that code that says like, here's what we're doing and why. But the other thing that I was thinking about is that when you're working with data, and I think also when you're working with code, generally, um, sometimes you're working with it alone, but most of the time you're working on it in, in some kind of collaboration, whether it's with other colleagues at your organization, or maybe folks that you know on, not at, at your organization, but who are your friends or colleagues, if you're working on an open source project, yourself in the future. Oh, yeah, definitely. Me of the past, me of the future, and me of the present. Um, totally different people. Me of the past is a horrible coder. Right. <laughs> I hope me of the future is better than I am now. So. <laughs> so you can imagine if you're, especially, like, let's use just the the case of one one snapshot in time, but instead you have a large distributed team. So let's say okay. it's like, you know, multiple people who need to work together on data science, you know, models and, and features and all this kind of stuff. So in that case, I want to be able to use the features that my colleagues are engineering, and I want them to be able to use mine. And part of that is having good hygiene and practices around documenting what I'm doing. But I need to put those documents in a place where people can find them. And the advantage of putting it very close to the code is that then when someone is looking at the code, they can see a a human readable interpretation of what that code is doing. But the disadvantage to that is that then I have to go all the way into the book to read the description of what is in that book rather than having kind of a high level index that I can just sort of flip through, right? Right. And so I was spending some time this weekend, the, you know, sort of the place I started in preparing for this episode was actually reading about some of the machine learning and data science platforms that big data science teams at companies like Uber and Airbnb have built for themselves to enable these large teams to work together in a efficient and well-functioning way. And so there's, there's a lot of different features that you might have in a data science platform or a machine learning platform. Like they might have models and deployment functionality, and maybe that's where they store some of the data as well, and blah, 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 blah. But one thing that they mentioned was that there's usually some notion of a feature store or a feature library. So that's that higher level view where there's potentially looking at all of the different features that the data scientists are using um, and being able to see in one relatively easy to navigate place what is the data that we have available? What are some stum- summary statistics or important things to know about it? Mm-hmm. Can we pull out that documentation from the code and replicate it? Uh, maybe probably automatically would be ideal into the feature store so that I can see those descriptions without having to dig all the way into the code by hand, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so this seems like a pretty good system so far. Um, are there any downsides? Yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call them downsides, but there are a couple things that are hard about this. So this is a problem. The idea of just keeping track of your features, it's not that hard if you have 
a few dozen features or maybe even up to a few hundred, right? Uh, you can keep track of them in a spreadsheet if you want. Yeah. It doesn't scale well, though. And I think there are a few challenges that arise out of that. So number one is if you're doing it all by hand, all of the sort of documentation and feature management. Uh, one is that it's really easy for those data dictionaries to fall out of date. It's really, really easy to change you know, some underlying aspect of how a feature is designed uh, and then forget to update the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And then right. that means that the people who are reading those spreadsheets, then they don't trust them anymore. And then that means the spreadsheet is useless. Um, and moreover, uh, a second question, I'm starting to crib here from a, a really well-written blog post on Locally Optimistic about why you shouldn't use data dictionaries, which I think is kind of a controversial hot take, but a, well, a well-reasoned argument. Once I got into the blog post, we will have a link on lineardigressions.com. Um, but one of the other things they point out is that that documentation system, like a data dictionary, different people need it for different things and they want different levels of detail. And so trying to have one, one single system that serves all of those needs probably means that you're not going to solve any of them particularly well. So instead, uh, what they advocate is, for example, having a system that has links to the actual code and the documentation that's close to the code for folks like the data scientists, for folks who are less technical and who just need to know what the data is saying, uh, that instead you should focus on having good reports and dashboards that serve up that data, and that having having that that documentation that's close to the data itself be very well written and be descriptive of what the what a feature is, when and how it should be used, what problem it's designed to solve, like that 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 documentation is actually super super important, and so having it be well written is disproportionately important. The point is, uh, one of the challenges is there's different people who have different needs from their mm-hmm. data, their feature management system. I think a second one that came to mind when I was reading, I think this was about the the Uber feature storage system. I, they say they have something like 10,000 features in there. So just the issue of how do we keep all of that organized and mm-hmm. how do we make it searchable? Didn't go into a ton of detail on this, no, um, the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> that doesn't exist for features. Why not? <laughs> um, but you see what I'm saying, though. Like, it's yeah, actually really yeah. hard to keep track of things. Um, and so, I mean, and that's searchability right there. It's searchability, but it's like, is search the best way of retrieving feature mm-hmm. metadata? I don't actually know. I mean, maybe Searching it is. Searching or indexing or just organizing well. Uh, oh yeah, right. Yeah, this is a thorny problem. I know. It, like it goes from like, oh, you just need to know what your features are to like, oh shoot, how do we do that? Mm-hmm. So oh, I'm God, sure that imagine, imagine onboarding and there are ten thousand features at the company you're onboarding. Uh, well, I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure that at that level you're you're not even a te- like I I would bet my right arm that nobody at Uber knows what all 10,000 of those features are, right? It's just about being able to navigate the system. Or more to the point, having a system that is designed enough, well-designed enough and intuitive enough and used well by the people who are checking in those features so right. that uh, the people who then need to go in to, to find them and retrieve them 
can do so with reasonable efficiency. And uh, you you mentioned that that was that was um, difficulty number two, but you said earlier about how these things can get out of date, especially if the documentation is far away from the code. I think that that warrants uh, being counted as a difficulty, like a full difficulty. So that could be number zero or number three, uh, where the further away your documentation is from your code, the, the more likely it's not going to be updated. And I mean, heck, even when I'm documenting functions or... I'll update a function and I'll just forget to change the documentation, which may be like three lines above the change I made. It's it's just really hard to remember to change documentation and certainly to design a system where people remember to change documentation um, consistently and reliably. And it gets even harder if that documentation is far away from the code and you have to go find it. Yeah, so I think you're right. There's end of the day this is just a hard problem. There are a few things that you can do to give yourself a fighting chance, I guess. Uh, So one is that ideally, if you have, say, documentation that's being served up in, say, a website that's relatively far away from where the code itself lives, ideally, that website is not maintained by hand, but instead, it's maintained by another piece of code that what that code does is go into the documentation that lives close to the feature engineering code and pulls it out automatically. So what that means is that you have to be disciplined about writing your documentation in a certain format when it's in the code itself so that that little bot can recognize, hey, this is a document snippet, let's pull it out. Um, And it means you need to go through the trouble of actually using one of the, you know, there are programs that can make this um, easier for you, can actually go in and pull this stuff out, but you you need to set it up. Yeah, I mean, in in the JavaScript world, there's JS doc where you just write these specific, uh, specifically formatted comments up at the top of each of your functions. It's called doc block format, and um, I don't know, it 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 works fine. It's okay, but uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of annoying to do. But if you do it, if you do it throughout your code base then you can have some kind of aggregator that'll run across your entire code base that recognizes those doc blocks and then turns those into documentation on a web page that could be automatically published. And then people can use that web page to understand what features exist. Yeah, and I think there's also an analog of that that's about the data itself. So in some other episodes recently, we've been thinking about you know, how to access data and how to, if if you're actually storing, say, a table's worth of data, that if you're going in and, and wanting to know on a regular basis, say, like, what is the min of this column? What is the max of this column? What is the, what is the average of this column? That those numbers in analytics, analytics systems are often changing all the time because new data is always being added. So, column like generally like metadata about the feature um but it's there are things that you calculate on the data itself rather than being say descriptions or documents that are um, being handcrafted uh that means that if you want to have that metadata being served up in the same place as the documentation in your feature store which is probably a good idea because people who are using that feature store will find it useful um, then you probably need to set up uh some kind of table scanner job of some sort that's going through periodically, maybe not constantly, uh, like maybe once a day or something, and calculating and updating those numbers so that 
people who are using them for reference have reasonable confidence that they're pretty fresh. Again, not the most complicated thing in the world, uh, but it's a little bit of upfront work and um, you know, not something that just falls out of your system for free, but instead that you need to be conscious of when you're putting it together. It's interesting how many of our episodes are not about doing the data science thing, but about all of the pieces that surround it. You know, like if you're kind of a lone wolf just building a project on your own, uh, you can keep the number of features that you have in your head. Uh, You don't need to worry about documentation too much if it's a short-lived project or relatively simple. But once you get into the, I guess, the professional world in these teams that are really using uh, data science in a lot of ways for a lot of different things, then these kind of more organizational concepts and problems and solutions become much more important. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.